0: Paul just began to base his moral teaching on the fact that we are one body. Soma. And I've already said, see, body means presence to history. No body, no history. But it has to be a conscious, physical presence to history. Rocks don't have a history. Trees don't have a history. Angels don't have a history at the other end because they don't have physicality. So now, He's going to start talking about what this means, that we're one body. And it's been so long that we've thought about this, even though Pope Pius XII wrote a whole letter on the mystical body. Mystical doesn't mean so refined it evaporates. It means it belongs to the mysterion. It belongs to the plan of God. So we're going to pick up now from, uh, on verse 4. Just as we have many members in our body, and all the members do not have the same function, so too we, being many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Now, some commentators say, oh, yeah. he's giving a summary here of material he's developed much more amply in first letter to the Corinthians, uh, starting with chapters 11 and 12 and so forth where he develops all this. Uh, Probably in that extended form for the first time, there in Corinthians, there's remarks of it here and there. Remark later on in Romans after this one. Uh, What's his vision, you see? That because of Christ, because of the Eucharist, and most of all, or principally, or whatever the word would be, because of the action of the Holy Spirit. We are in some way one physical entity. We've got edges. You could be in the body or out of it. It's a physical entity. Those who are joined to Christ physically, which begins, as he says in the letter to the Corinthians, uh, in one spirit we're baptized into one body. So what makes us a body is Baptism. And we're one body, and we're members of one another. And that, of course, in a fractured society, uh, you know, it's hard to grasp that. If two centuries ago you lived in a little town in Bulgaria, you probably wouldn't go anywhere. You'd already have a sense, of everybody in the the village were, were Christian, of more of this corporality. But it's not just an image for Paul. It's not like the body politics, and one's the captain, and what no. He means, uh, this is physicality. That's why when he finally develops it in Ephesians, it comes down to marriage. We make one body with Christ because he's the head and we're the body, or he's the this, this spouse and we're the, 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 he's the husband and we're the wife. We're one body with him. It's a physical entity. In Corinthians, when he's talking this way, and he's he's militating against uh, fornication, there in chapter six of Corinthians, you see. Corinthians were a kind of a wild crowd, you know. They were, oh, um, well, they were mostly it's a port town, a doubly a port town. I think I've described before. So they're uh, exuberant and great, but they're not too heavy into the ten commandments, and so Paul's got problems with them, and one of them. Somebody came up with this great slogan, you see, of food for the belly, the belly for food, the body for sex, sex for the body. He says, it's true, food for the belly and belly for food, but the body is not for fornication. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Think about that. My body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for my body. He died, not that I could go to heaven and be free from my body, but that I could go to heaven and take my presence to history with me. Transformed, but with me. So, you see, the vision he already has of of the body that he's talking about here is this physical reality destined to exist forever. And it begins in us in baptism. And that's why he says, you see, yeah, food for the belly, the belly for food. But you can't say the body for sex, sex for the body. And then he comes up with this incredible statement. The body is for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. So, you see, we have that here. You see, here, he's going to talk more about the harmony in the body because of its different functions, its different gifts, you see having different gifts, in keeping with the grace given to us. And now, in a very um, shorthand way, if prophecy, in keeping with the proportion of faith. So, to make it run, translators put in, I think rightly, sometimes as I did here, parentheses, we're going to talk about the gifts. First, what he talks about is prophecy, always. That's the greatest gift. Because it's not just saying... Tomorrow it's going to rain, or a war starting in a week. Prophecy is always speaking from deep knowledge about the affairs of God. Sometimes foretelling the future, but not always. Every enlightenment of the mind, Aquinas says, you know, is a form of prophecy. So he starts with that one. You see, um, we have different, reg- if prophecy, in keeping with the proportion of faith. Don't start shooting off your own mind in your own mouth. Listen to what... If, you're, if you have a prophetic gift or a prophetic message, listen. And if it's important, check it out with somebody before you deliver it. I'm, I remember there's a prophecy of mine that seems to still be going around. I think I gave it in 79 or 80 at a big ecumenical meeting. And it's still around. That prophecy, that prophecy, I told a close friend of mine who was there, Rick Thomas. I said, "Rick, I think I have a real word for this group." So we sat down and talked about it and worked on it. I just didn't get up because it has to be, the gifts are under authority. And so we talked it over, and I listened to the Lord, and then I gave it. And I think that's always the best way to give a prophecy. Sometimes it doesn't work. Or sometimes you don't need it. Or sometimes all that is done before. Back in 75, we had a big charismatic conference in Rome. And the last day, I think it was the last day, we had a big Mass. We had about 10,000 people there. With, uh, with the Cardinal Sunan, said the Mass. But the Pope spoke to us. And he was talking about this very type of thing, you see. At that time, there were prophecies about the type of thing we're seeing right now. Christians under a lot of pressure from governments for one reason or another and warning us, it could get worse, be ready. That was 1975. That's almost 40 years ago. Um, it was a warning. To help us get ready and not be shocked and think the world's out of God's control. It's not. That's one of the reasons even our Lord, the prophecies He gives are collected at the end of Matthew, Mark and Luke, different types, sometimes the same prophecies, but to tell the whole church, look, nothing is out of my control. I'm telling you ahead of time what's going to happen. And so, is a very precious gift. It can also be directive; it can tell us what to do. And sometimes uh, it can be for one person. Sometimes it's for the whole church, or anything in between. It's God's word delivered. Now, some prophecy is acted out. Mother Teresa's care for the poor is a prophetic manifestation of the love of Christ. But most of the time, we restrict the word to prophecy, you see? Let it be within the proportion of faith, meaning don't get carried away and start prophesying stuff that's beyond your ken. Listen to the Lord and say just what you can discern He wants you to say, and then stop. And if it's supposed to be more, there's plenty of other prophets around. They'll complete it. Don't have to worry about it, you see? Uh, okay. If ministry diaconia, let it be in serving. These are all now he's going through the gifts. The big list is in Corinthians, but if you count all the times he mentions gifts, there's almost fifty of them mentioned, and there are plenty more. In Vatican II, which at the urging of Cardinal Sunens, has a section in the in the document on the church. Uh, uh, Sacro Sanctum Concilio, isn't it? Yes, I think it is. Uh On the gifts. The smaller gifts and the greater gifts. Huh? They're all necessary. And they're for the same reason, you see. So if in ministry, let it be in serving. If in teaching, then with the same uh, proportion of faith, you see, uh, then teach that way. Don't get carried away and give everybody your pet ideas. Listen. Listen to the Lord, even when you're teaching. So that you listen to Him. I promise you, if you do, if you if you get you practice, you'll know. And you just know in the back of your head you're thinking I've got to start talk about that, and you hear the Lord say, Don't go down that road. Not in this situation, not in this context. So, uh, if exhortation, then an exhorting. That's a powerful gift. Paranesis. You could, you know, when the Lord is exhorting through us, things happen. People change. And so that's what he's saying. You see, then, then exhorting, the one sharing goods in simplicity. You don't have to have the news cap- cameras there while you sign your check to, you know, if you're going to give it, just give it. You don't need to get patted on the back. The Lord will give you much more than a pat on the back. When you, you know, when you're up there in heaven, and He says, you know, I was broke, and I was on the street, and you gave me some money. It didn't solve all my problems, but it gave me hope, and I worked at it, and I got a job. I want to thank you. There's Jesus talking to you and saying these say, things. When did I see you broke and give you... I promise you, whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did for me. I'm thanking you in my own name for what you did. You must never forget that. You see? Uh, So, in serving and then in teaching, teach with the same thing. Don't get up there and start giving your pet peeves. Teach the Word of God. The one presiding... In earnestness. That's a beautiful example. Isn't that a beautiful way? Let the presider be earnest. Not a big shot, not a whatever, earnest. What's the earnest about? Making sure that all the brethren are really answering the Lord, helping them, encouraging them. See, making sure that uh, they're serving the Lord. You see? Uh, and then let... That's the end of the gifts for a while. Let love be sincere. And that's a beautiful phrase. Uh, um, I think that's the one. See? On Let love be non-critical. Unhyp, uh, non-hypocritical. On hypocritos You hear it? Hypocry—hypocrisy. Hip- so let it be... Non-hypocritical, you see? of uh, Detesting what is evil, clinging to what is good. So we're going to stop there. We've only done nine verses, but uh, this is different than the theological part. This is good advice, and so it's nice to stop and expound, what is he really saying, and how can I take it in? Amen.